Padded Cell is intended to allow for candid, blunt and passionate conversations on mental health. It is possible that some of the discussions we have will trigger an emotional response. The following episode contains graphic description of self-harm and death. If you need support at any time, please visit the South Africa Depression and Anxiety Group website or call your mental health practitioner. More information is available on Padded Cell's Facebook, Instagram and Twitter pages. Hi, this is Antonio Luich for Padded Cell Podcast, a conversation around mental health. I'm here with uh, Nirupa Maharaj. Uh, we're going to talk about mental health. This is Padded Cell. Do you know, let's let's introduce ourselves. Okay. Hi, my name is Nirupa Maharaj and I am from Durban. I am the mother of the late Akshay Maharaj who passed away on the 21st of February. He was a homosexual young man and I'm going to talk about his mental health today. Akshay had a serious problem with a depression where he was diagnosed with MDD and bipolar 2. But this started at a very young age of about 19. Akshay came out of the closet when he was 16. He was a very beautiful young man but he carried a lot of darkness as a result of ostracizing, name calling, all sorts of things from our malicious society. I was a very aware mom so I knew there was something wrong with him in terms of his health. Mm-hmm. Um I figured that he was different so that was not the problem. From a very early age I guess. A very very early age. Uh-huh. Um Akshay attempted his life when he was 11 years old. He took all my mom's panados in the hope that it would kill him. But you know mother's and intuition will never go away mm-hmm. and he was just I got to the school on time to make sure that he never took it. and i got him into a hospital at 11 and you know 11 year old trying to talk about their sexuality and their health is very difficult it is it is so he was he knew who he was he knew he was different and he knew that he didn't fit in the society mm-hmm. but he was an 11 year old child that didn't know and i was not ready to crowd his brain because he was just a kid yeah so i did what i needed to do was take him to the hospital and I've got to admit from that age I've been very disappointed with medical help. Okay. Uh, this was in Durban. Yeah. Uh-huh. This was all in Durban. Okay. So um at that young age the doctor said he needs to go on medication and I said no way he's too young I will monitor him and I will see how he's going and of course life continued and he walked a very painful journey through his high school where he was tortured and tormented. he was almost raped in school where they put him up on a wall and they wanted to put a pencil up his anus oh my goodness and i had to go to the school and you know i'm just that mom that's been extremely supportive it didn't matter what i had to do and where i had to do it i was ready to do it for my child I because mean, he had nobody else to protect him absolutely i mean in in schools especially high school kids can actually just because someone is different they will just treat you in a terrible terrible way LGBT kids get bullied quite a lot. You know when he was in high school he was very very academic. He was a oh. brilliant child. Um but um I picked this up when he would come home from school because I was a working mum. Mm-hmm. And when I got home his room door was always closed and he was sobbing and sobbing and sobbing. And as a mother, you know, I've just gone to an 8-hour job. I'm tired. I've still got to prepare meals for my children. Mm. Um I had my moments of frustration but I also had my deep moments of concern and uh, worry for my child. Okay. 
You know, it was so, so horrible because when he was in high school, they beat him so badly that he had to be treated medically. Oh, my word. And they used to call him a moffy and a queer and a faggot. And they used to... And, and, and Akshay was a very quiet boy. He was a very deep child that took pain. He never spoke about it. He would counsel other people, but he would never talk about himself. But I knew him so well, and my communication with him was wonderful. Mm. So I was very aware of what was going on. But I would never just approach him because I knew it was sensitivity and he's a human being Absolutely. first. Yeah. So I would phone people that I know in professional places and I would get advice and then I would handle it my own way as a mother. So in his older life, you know, he lived in the UK for two years and he was blissfully happy. Mm-hmm. And his depression started very badly when he came back into the country. Mm. But because he was different, he wore colorful clothes. Sometimes he would put some makeup on Mm. because he enjoyed who he was. He was happy with who he was, but he was always trying to fit in. And he had so much love to give, but he never got it back. He got it from very few, but he never got it back the way he should have. So I'm going to cut to... 2015, mm-hmm. when my mom passed away, and he was very close to her. Mm-hmm. So her death kind of triggered him off. But by this stage, he was already diagnosed with MDD. He mm-hmm. was diagnosed with bipolar. He was on Epilim and Urbanol. And I still can't remember all those tablets, Dopoquil, and all that heavy medication. Mm-hmm. And when my mom passed away, he passed out in the apartment and I had to go and get him under a shower and I had to take him to the funeral because he had to do her last rites. Okay. And I just saw him go downhill and his depression just got worse. So by this stage, we had already been to a psychiatrist Mm -hmm. who we're familiar with in Durban. We'd been to a psychologist and, of course, I have no disrespect towards psychiatrists, but I just believe that medication is just so easily prescribed. Yeah. Uh, it's you are depressed, so just take this, you'll feel better. And to be honest with you, that really peeps me off mm. because as a medical practitioner, I believe psychiatrists have all these huge worldwide conferences. And when they do have them, they talk about everything and anything but mental health. And if they do, it's very, it's not talked on. It's not a, a subject that is, is raised for a week in a conference. Yeah. And I believe that not only in our country, I think the world is struggling with mental, mental health. Yeah. And, you know, a heterosexual person goes through depression too. But I believe a homosexual person has a double impact because they've got to cope with the depression and they've got to cope with the sexuality and the... The abuse and, and the stigma, all the stigma and yeah. trying to fit in and that pressure is just unfair. So 2015, my mom passed away in October. Mm. Exactly three months after that, Akshay attempted his first serious suicide mm-hmm. where he took, by this stage, he was on 11 tablets a day, all antidepressants, Kind of zombied out, but still going to his job. 11 tablets. 11, yeah. Uh, starting from 25 milligrams up. My goodness. So in a day, I would assume it's about three, two, 300 milligrams of medication. 
So every time we went to the psychiatrist, he would say, no, he needs to go into St. Joseph's. Mm. A 21-day program in there is a long time. Yeah. And how, what's, I mean, I, I don't mean to go in, into prices or anything. How expensive, how, you know, how accessible uh, is it? Uh, well, if you don't have medical aid, you cannot go in there. Okay. It's about 2,300 rand a day just to sleep there. That's minus your medication, your psychiatrist, your psychologist, your whatever. Okay. So can you imagine in our country where economy is so bad if you don't have medical aid? Yeah. And you're looking for this kind of assistance in government, you're going to be dumped into a place like King George uh-huh. or Town Hill in Peter Maritzburg or some of the government institutes that, are not, to me, are not equipped for psychiatry. For psychiatry. And I mean that yeah. because I have walked this living experience with my son. So on that horrid night at quarter to six, I just had this intuition that something was wrong in my gut. Mm-hmm. And I got home. And I got to Akshay 13 minutes before he could die. I obviously had to call the ambulance and they had to resuscitate him and do a track, track, um, whatever, to try and let him breathe. And he was taken to trauma and then he was put on life support. So by this stage, I was just tired of psychiatrists mm-hmm. and psychologists. So the parent that I am is very vocal. And I want to know why my child is taking all this medication. Mm. Fortunately for me, I am blessed with voice and I'm blessed with ability. That you are. And I believe that there are many parents that don't have that. And for a parent that doesn't have the, the resources to research what medication you're taking as a person or your child, we just go blindly and these poor people are just on this progressive, excuse my language, but I'm going to say this crap. Okay? You, you can say anything on this point. It, it, it ruins a person. Yeah. I don't believe that it's helping them come out of their depression because they zombied out most of the time, so I don't know how they're going to deal with their minds and what's hurting them because, mm-hmm. to me, all that medication blocks off. It doesn't uh, bring out. Okay. So they become zombied, and when they're zombied, they don't want to talk. Already now we're talking about a homosexual young man mm-hmm. who's already afraid of speaking. Mm-hmm. And now for him, just having this medication is wonderful because he's on a high and he doesn't have to speak. So he doesn't have to say how he's feeling. Yeah. He doesn't have to share his emotion. Even in a closed, they bring all these psychologists and these people that come to counsel and they just, to me, have fancy titles. By this stage, you know, um, a mother having to go into an ICU and watching your lifeless child is very painful. Mm. But I was there constantly. I was asking questions. I was asking what injections are you giving him? Mm. Are you all, what is his vitals like? Is there any hope? Is there improvement? And every day it was just no, no, no. So I finally took some leave of work and I would sit at the hospital. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, I didn't know which way this was going to go. But as a mother and my intuition, I knew my child was never going to die. Because I would go and I'd talk to him. Mm-hmm. And I would see him tear, which means he heard me. So I've got to share the story with you without having to mention names. Yeah, absolutely. So I had an incident at a hospital in Durban mm-hmm. where my son was in the ICU on a ventilator. 
He was being treated by a medical practitioner mm-hmm. who didn't know I was standing at the corner of the bed because the curtain was closed and actually I was having some problems so they had to work on him. And I will never forget this for as long as I live because I heard this doctor say to him, you gay people, we have got more important work to do and we've got to save lives than worry about you that's wanting to kill yourself. If you want to kill yourself, I'll take off your ventilator and you will die in 30 seconds. And that just freaked me. So I listened. And of course, as a mother, my, my first instinct was go for him. So I walked around the bed and I gripped him physically. Mm. And I said to him, how dare you? How dare you? And I pulled him out. And of course, the security came and, mm. you know, they believed that I was trying to attack him. As, as they do. But the nurses that were there heard everything. Mm. And I was horrified. I finally went to the matron of the hospital. I brought the hospital to its knees. Wow. I tell you what, you know, I went to his rooms and I didn't leave him. But he literally took me by my shoulders and he threw me out of his office and he shut the door behind me. The, the same doctor? The same doctor. This, this just tells you how much gay people have to deal with, especially... You go to a hospital where you're expecting to get the best care. and then You know, my comment to him was, if he can hear me and cry, can you imagine what he's feeling hearing your comment? He's going to give up the world to live even if he wants even to. Even if he wants to. So um, it became a big thing and I was not going to leave it alone. Not me. Uh, if it was another human being in my space, I would have done the same thing. It didn't have to be my child. Mm. I just feel it is so unfair. So the matron came and, you know, I believe that these big hospitals, Mm -hmm. they all have these doctors that are getting a percentage out of the hospital Mm -hmm. and it's become a money-making machine. There's no sensitivity. There's no human relationships. And this is something that I've observed as a parent. Mm -hmm. And I finally got the doctors changed. But I didn't leave it. I, I wrote to the HBCSA. Absolutely, as you should. My goodness, it's, it's just... My case was dumped. And I mean dumped. Nobody responded. So I decided, well, the doctor said to me, are you challenging me? And I said, you're damn right I am. I am not your average mother. Mm-hmm. So don't... And I'm not a doctor. But trust me, I could become a doctor tomorrow with everything I know. And I wanted to move my son out of that particular hospital, but Mm. unfortunately he was on life support and that would have been a risk I would have taken myself, but I managed to get the doctor changed within an hour. Perfect. Wow. The other doctor was very, very empathetic. He was very apologetic, but by this stage I was just a very angry mother. And you know, it was so hard for me because that particular doctor would come into the ICU to Mm. see his other patients and it would just make me even more angry. So when I got to the part of getting to the matron, I brought the sister from the ICU. Yeah, the one who heard what was said. And I asked her if she would please verify whatever she's heard. And you know, this is why I say it's just corrupt. Because she said, I'm sorry, I didn't hear anything. Fortunately for myself, I had a friend Mm -hmm. who gave me a testimony to what had happened. So that was 
good. So I sat with my ability and whatever I could put on paper. I named him, I put his practice number down and I put everything down to the HBCSA and I said, this is not fair. It's almost two years and well, it's almost it's 30 months that Akshay is gone mm -hmm. and I haven't heard from the HBCSA. It's horrible. Okay. The HBCSA is the... It's the hospital, the... the uh, HBCSA is the body for uh, medical practitioners if you want to report negligence. Oh, okay. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a South African yeah, it's medical a, it's practitioner. A medical, it's a medical board. Okay. But when you read up on the HBCSA, they tell you all these fancy things. You have the right to this. You have We have a right to a lot of things. Yeah. We're just not given the chance to exercise our rights, yeah. I believe. So, obviously, on the uh, third night, my doctor said to me, this was the new doctor who was really compassionate and I take my hat off to him because he showed some sensitivity towards the situation. And I was told that I need to switch off the machine because Akshay's brain is dying and I said, no way, that's never going to happen. I will wait until his brain dies. But even if I have to take him out of here in a vegetative state, I will take care of him. That I will take responsibility for but he's not going to die. So on the fourth morning, I was in the bath getting ready to go to the hospital and I got a call to say that he's off the ventilator. So it was really wonderful. I don't know how I drove there, but I got there. Uh -huh. and It was just, obviously he couldn't talk by the stage because he had all these tubes in his throat and, you know, and I made sure that he didn't exert himself. But he was awake. But he was awake, yes. So um, once they stabilized him, I asked them to move him into a private ward at the hospital expense for everything that I've been through and they were kind enough to do that. So when they stabilized him, they moved him into a private ward and I was very clear that I will not pay for it. Considering everything that I've been through and I said to them, if you don't, trust me, I'm going to call the media because again, we go back to my ability and I have resources. Yeah. I, I just have to pick up the phone and get a journalist here. Right. It's simple. Journalists love stories. Yeah, like they that. do. And... All said and done, I took him home and healed him and nurtured him and he went back to work and life was all back to normal and he was ever so grateful that I was there and I was just so blessed to know that he's alive. That's fantastic. We're going to take a short break and then come back and get to hear the rest of the story. We are back with Nirupa Maharaj and she was telling us about the, her son. And, I mean, after the whole hospital incident uh, and you got back home and you nursed him, what happened? You know, he just got darker and he sunk further. Mm. It's still popping all this medication. So then I had a problem with his psychiatrist because I wrote an email to him and I said, you know, as a psychiatrist, you shouldn't be giving him what he wants. You should be giving him what he needs. And trust me, I reported him to the HPCSA as well. And I changed psychiatrists. But remember now, this is a young man that is incapable of taking care of himself by threatening his life. 
So someone has to take over, and that is me. Mm. And then I get hit with all these confidentiality clauses that you can't. So I was told to go to the high court and get a, uh, a letter mm-hmm. to become his caretaker legally. Mm. Now, you can only imagine that I must go now sit in the court, I must find a lawyer, I must get this done, which is going to take months. In the interim, I've got to keep a job. I've got to make sure that my child is okay. Mm-hmm. Where do I have the time for that? So I kind of fought the system myself. Mm-hmm. And I walked myself into doctor's rooms and I didn't care if there were people there and I would ask what I want to ask and I would say what I want to say and I would leave. And when I say he wasn't given what he needed, he was given what he wanted, we need to also understand that as depressed people, mm-hmm. they can be manipulative. And I'm going to use this word not in a negative sense. You can also get, there are a lot of people that use depression as an excuse mm-hmm. to get attention. Uh, you know, in Akshay's case, it was not like that. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to make sure that I'm not going to be part of something like that. So I took an active role in everything that was going on. Mm-hmm. So again, here we go. I got rid of the psychiatrist, got in a new one. But, you know, I must also say something about psychiatrists. Eh? They're so clinical. Mm-hmm. There's no, um, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, because I'm going to tell you that I also am depressed now. There's no human connection. It's like you go in there and you feel so uncomfortable, you just get your prescription and you leave. You're not even allowed more than five minutes. Mm-hmm. When you paying. Maximum 1,800 rand a consultation to get a prescription with fancy names of medication that changes all the time because medical companies are researching and medicine is changing all the time. So we become the guinea pigs. Mm -hmm. Let's try it on Akshay. Let's try it on Narupa. Let's try it on Sam. You know, let's do whatever we can to see what works on and what effects it's going to have. And exactly six weeks after that, Akshay attempted his life again. So here we have a young man who's bipolar, he's permanently depressed, and he's taking almost 11 tablets a day. By the stage, it's gone up a little bit more. Mm. So he found a theatre scalpel. I have no idea where he got it from. And he opened up his entire right wrist. He bled and bled and bled till he just couldn't bleed anymore. Mm. When I got to the room, there was not even a spot of white. And I found him 14 minutes before he could die. When the paramedic came, they said, I'm sorry, ma'am, you know, we can't do much. And I said, no, you will. Not you can't, you will. That's your job. Until you try and resus, and I'm going to be here, so you you can't get rid of me. I want to see what you're doing. No, you won't have the strength. I said, trust me, I have the strength. I've just been standing over my almost dead child who's bleeding to death. And I will never forget that day because there were clots in the sink. There were clots in the kitchen. There were Obviously, he had panicked when it happened. Mm-hmm. And he was trying to run around to see what he can do. But he passed out at some point. And here we go again. Back in the same hospital. New psychiatrist, new physician, new doctors. Same nurses mm-hmm. who knew him. And this is the problem I have as well. When you're a regular patient with the same problem... Mm-hmm. You're almost taken for granted. Oh, he's here for depression. We'll just administer his medication and we'll leave him alone. Again, he was on life support. This time was really bad because they had to, um, his bone had 
stuck out, so they had to get an orthopedic surgeon to file it down and make sure that he didn't, you know, tear a nerve. And fortunately for him, he didn't lose the mobility in his arm. Okay. And fortunately for him, he was left-handed, so he didn't really need his right hand. Okay. So, um, back again, back home, fed him for a few months, nurtured him back to work, took him to work every day, picked him up, made sure that he had some some way of, of you know, going to his job and functioning because the job was becoming a problem, mm-hmm. you know. But in terms of the law, I have come with an HR background, so I knew the HR very well. And I had a meeting with his employer, and I said, this is the situation. Unfortunately, you cannot dismiss him. Mm-hmm. You um, may take it off his leave, his paid leave, but you cannot dismiss him. That's the law. He is has the right like everybody else. So... I finally got in touch with somebody from the CCMA and exactly what I said was true. Okay. So he had been put on leave for a while and mm-hmm. I took some time off. Now you can imagine I don't have a job. I'm, I'm staying at home. He's at home. I'm trying to nurture him back to good health. I'm trying to get him back on his feet. Mm-hmm. And that's how we continued. So in 2016, November, mm-hmm. he was fine. And he just said to me, Mom, you know, I need my space. I want to move out. And that I found quite uncomfortable because I was petrified of leaving him to oh, himself. Yeah. So I made sure that he lived very close to me. I got him an apartment. I got the keys. We went shopping. This is close to Christmas. And mm-hmm. he furnished his home. And he was so happy just to have his own space. Yeah. But he would still come and eat with me. And we would spend time together. Right. And then, horrifically, in December, he was beaten. And robbed. Okay. The police ended up at my door and I really thought he was dead, but they didn't want to bring him in front of me because he was really badly hurt. So again, here we go, hospital, hospital. again. Oh. Well, that didn't stay very long because I got him out and we got home, but I think the robbery, they had cleaned his bank account out. So we came into 2017 with no money. Oh my goodness. And I had to borrow some money so we could survive. And you can only imagine, and and I'm saying this because I want you to imagine this human being now going through all of this and still being stripped off his own bank account Mm. with no money. That would depress anybody even It would depress anyone. And, you know, I'm going to say this because he had saved 75,000 rand to Mm -hmm. take me to India. That was Mm. his dream and my wish. And everything had gone. Oh. So in January, his employer and I had a chat and she said, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit concerned about him. And I said, yes, I am too. He's very quiet. She says, he's just, he's, he still works. He's brilliant, mm. but he's just not talking. He comes here, he does his work, he excels at what he does. And you know, the, the one thing about Akshay was he took an award every month at his employer mm. for the best employee of the month. Oh, wow. He was just amazingly committed to what he did. Mm. And then we come into February, the most horrible month of the year of 2017. So by the stage, he's living on his own. And I'm still freaked out. But, you know, I'm the superwoman that has my eyes and ears everywhere. So I had my guards in my building checked out and make sure that he's going to work every day and he's home at a certain time. And then a week 
before the 21st, he sent me this beautiful long message thanking me for the amazing human being I've been, the part of his life, the journey we've walked and how I need to be strong and I need to continue my work and I need to be there for everybody. And he ended off saying, "By goodbye, mom, I love you, but I don't want to talk to you. So, you know, you can only imagine my exhaustion at this stage. So I thought, you know, maybe he just needs some space. Yeah. Maybe I'm crowding him. Uh-huh. So let me leave him alone. But, you know, I believe this now, that God creates love and in the same depth he creates separation. Because I believe that it was that took him, separated him from me because I think God knew that I couldn't save him anymore. Mm-hmm. So he had to have this abrupt separation. Mm-hmm. So this was a Thursday, Wednesday when I got the message. So I went to work and I also was taking a lot of pressure. And then Thursday I was trying to get a project in. Friday I came home and I was really exhausted. But I'd I'd already checked if he was going and his movements and Mm. things. And everything was okay. So that Friday I came home and I was just really, really exhausted. And I thought, you know, I'm just going to leave him alone for the weekend. Let me give him his space. He'll come around. Mm -hmm. So I didn't see him that weekend, which was very strange. But, you know, I didn't even... There was no feeling to even go there. It's like, and I used this very strongly that God kept me away from him for a reason. Mm -hmm. So the Monday morning I got up and when he had this conversation with the two months before he passed away, telling me he's going to not see his 35th birthday Mm -hmm. and I'm going to live till 90 and I need to continue my journey. Mm -hmm. I laughed at him because I thought it was a joke and he's, you know, just mad. He's mental. That's what I said to myself as a mother. And I said, and he looked me in the eye. He didn't blink. And he said, Mom, it's not a joke. It's the truth. I'm not going to be here for my 35th birthday. Mm-hmm. But because he was so spiritual, yeah. I believe he knew that he was going to go. Mm-hmm. And that morning, that 20th of February 2017, at 2 o'clock I got up. By this stage, he had already chosen the outfit he would like to be cremated in. And there he was sitting at the foot of my bed in my vision with the same outfit. Mm-hmm. So I, the Monday was uneasy, but I still couldn't put it down to why I was uneasy. The Tuesday I got up and a little voice in me said, go down. So it was time to go. So I got into the lift and I panicked a little bit because he lived a couple of floors below me. And as I got closer to his apartment, I panicked even more. But when I put the key in the door, the door was latched from inside. Mm-hmm. So, of course, my immediate reaction is maybe he's trying to overdose or, you know, because he had that history he, and I he's done that before. So by the stage I had taken a hammer from the neighbor and I tried to break the door down and the neighbor said, don't do that because you don't know what to expect when you go in. Let's just get the police. So we got the police and I never slept for four months with that shrieking or breaking that door down. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I say this everywhere I speak that even in his last moments, he protected me because mm-hmm. as the door fell, the police dropped the door. I put my right foot in and a voice said bed. So my instinct was to run to the bed. But he didn't live in a big apartment. Yeah. But I had to pass the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And as I looked in the kitchen to my left, there he was in a sitting position on the floor, like he was sleeping against the cupboard with his head onto the side. Mm-hmm. And I thought he had fallen. So again, the first thing I did was please call the ambulance. I think my child needs help. And this continued for a couple of hours because family started coming and people were coming and the police took me out of there. And I was kind of 
wondering what was going on, but I didn't know. I didn't feel death, not even at that point. So a couple of hours later, I have a son that lives in Johannesburg, and I saw him at the door. I was like, what are you doing here? And he said, Mom, I said, what are you, is everything okay? And I'm wondering why people are crying and saying sorry, and, but nobody's telling me why. Nobody had the courage to tell me that Akshay was gone. Mm. So my son sat me on the bed and he held me as firmly as he could and he said, Mom, Akshay is dead. Akshay is gone. He had to give me the real side yeah, of it. Yeah. And the rest is pretty much... Blur. Blur. Because then I had to function, I had to arrange the funeral and I had to start believing that my child is no more. And I, I believe right now that this is my purpose, this is my journey. But I would really, really pray that the mental health issue would be something that is looked at really, really seriously. It's just become so normal to take a depressed person and pump them with medication. Full of medication, yeah. So 10 months into Akshay's death, I was admitted to a trauma unit because I was having renal failure. Mm. I didn't know what was going on because I just had terrible diarrhea. And they said I was having renal failure and they tried to resuscitate me and they called my son. And four months after that, I had a partial part of my bowel removed. I've been diagnosed with Crohn's. You can only imagine now I'm trying to cope with my son's death. I'm trying to cope with my diagnosis. I was in hospital in 2018, um, 11 times. I don't have a job, so I'm trying to keep my head above water. And then I started sinking myself. Mm. So I finally went to a psychiatrist, and I'm very careful about what I take. Mm. So I'm only on one antidepressant, but he said to me, he did some bloods, and he said, your serotonin is extremely low. And I discovered that myself because... I was sinking badly. I couldn't find a happy moment. Yeah. I couldn't feel happy about anything. I was just in a very dark space, and I believe that my chemicals were really off. Right. And I've been on it for three months, and I've got to say that I am back to me. I know medication is not the answer, but sometimes we've got to take it because it, it, we cannot just fix our own chemical yeah. imbalance. But you have to, you have to. I don't believe in having a stigma because people are afraid to say, I'm depressed. I will say it to the world. Mm -hmm. I am a living example of depression. Mm -hmm. I am no perfect human being. I have my moments. Right. But I've got to a point in my life where I get up in the morning. I look for the day. If I'm in a good space, I pack everything into the day. And when I get up the next day and I'm down, I deal with that by just doing nothing. Yeah, and, and this is actually the reason why we're having this conversation to destigmatize mental health issues. So... Mm -hmm. The fact that you can tell me your story and and say that you are living with depression is good because that other people who are unable to speak about it uh, are now. You know, yeah. already there's a stigma saying I'm gay or yeah. I'm bi or I'm lesbian mm -hmm. or I'm trans. Can, you know, people condemn you, they criticize you, they judge you. And when you say, you know, I'm depressed, people don't understand the meaning of mm -hmm. depression. And I say this, and I use this word, normal people, mm -hmm. because to me, they're not normal. But, you know, you can snap out of depression, and I'm like, you cannot. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, but you don't need the medication. And I'm saying this from people that I know. Uh -huh. 
but you know, you're going to kill yourself with medication. And I said, you know, maybe instead of getting onto WhatsApp mm. and going onto Facebook and putting silly posts, you should take the time to read on depression. You should take the time to read on mental health, mental illness, because it's a very, very, read some reviews, okay. read some stories about okay. people that have gone through it or are still going through it. Yeah. I will stand up in the world and say, I am a depressed mother. I am a depressed mother of a late child. I am a living example of depression daily, but I've learned to cope with it. Yeah. I've learned to know when I'm down mm -hmm. and I've learned to live when I'm up. Yeah. So every day is not the same. Mm -hmm. and, and considering that I have my own health issues and my own chronic problems, I've got to take my medication on time. I've got to, my diet is extremely bad because mm -hmm. it's so difficult to eat with Crohn's. And I teach myself every day to get used to, to eating. I am an Indian woman that's grew up on curry. I haven't put a curry in my mouth for a year. Oh, wow. Because I'm disciplined. I don't want to end up in that. I hate hospitals. I just don't like it unless I am dying and I need to get there. Mm. Considering what I've been through with my child and myself, mm -hmm. I just don't like hospitals. Yeah. To me, it's just a fancy place to go where you're just going to be resussed and left there and... The rest is just pump, 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 pump. Yeah. I just wish and pray, I really, really do pray, that in terms of psychiatry and psychology, even psychologists, they trained to speak to people. Are they trained to speak to LGBTI people? Mm. Do they talk to them as a heterosexual person? Uh -huh. I don't think so. So I'm not sure, and I could be wrong. Yeah. I, so maybe there should be more training on how do you deal with an LGBTI person? Right. How do you deal with transgender, transgender. which is something we discussed in this gathering? Absolutely. So I think there's still a lot of work to be done. Yeah. But if it's not, you know, if, if people like me don't voice, nothing's going to happen. Nothing. And I would love it for more people to listen to this today. Mm-hmm. And come out and say, Narupa, we are very proud of you because we're facing the same difficulties. Absolutely. Please, can you share with us what can we do? Mm -hmm. And I believe, you know, unity is strength. Mm -hmm. I can't do this by myself because yeah. I'm one person. Absolutely. But if I have a couple of people with me that are supporting me, mm -hmm. I would love to take it to parliament. Yeah. I'm no government person. I'm no public person. As a normal common human citizen of this country, mm. I'd like to stand there and say, can I be heard? I don't have a degree. I don't have a qualification, mm. but I want to be heard. And you still these are my living, these are my living examples of my daily life. Yeah. Instead of uh, um, narrating a story and putting up all these wonderful charts, right. we need to listen to people. We need to take you know, like we have cases, mm -hmm. uh, when you go and research cases, you get live stories. Mm. I would love for my story to go on a case for 2019. Not a case really, but a story, a story. of how people can relate to it. Yeah. So my whole purpose at the moment, I am so grateful to the other foundation. Right. I'm so grateful to be a part of Copano. Mm -hmm. I am so grateful to have met the human beings that I've come in contact with. And I've got to say this openly. In my entire 55 years of life, I've never felt so much of love in one place like I have in the last four days. Yeah. I'll just give a bit of a background because we're at a space where we have 200 individuals from different parts of the continent and you're yes. one of them. Thank you. And most of them are LGBT and, and it's just a beautiful space, but there is so much pain 
that is being held by people here and and that's why uh, that's why we're having this conversation now you know and 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 you say that anthony because i've been i'm very observant mm. i've been here for four days it's been taking a toll on me emotionally as well mm. you know but uh, i'm just built with strength and I, i i thank my god every day for giving me the strength i really don't know how but i believe kids. that i need to do this for right. many like me many like my boy mm. And there are a few people I've come in contact with. I haven't spoken to them, but I felt their energy is pain. Yeah. And I wish I could hug every 200 of them and tell them that I'm here. If ever they need me mm. to be wherever, I can be a thousand hands and bring in thousands of people with the support of the other foundation, with the support of people like yourself. Mm. And I know this with all the confidence and the the love i have in my heart that i am going to make a difference in the world and you are and really going to make a difference i have started making yeah. a huge difference yeah. because my voice is going to reach many it is and many is going to join my voice and we're going to become not a voice we're going to become voices, voices. yeah so i want to say to you thank you very much for giving me this opportunity Well, it's been you. very difficult for me. Mm. But I know that Akshay is watching over me and he's actually on my shoulder right now giving me the strength to share, to share. and to help and to embrace and to love and to bring in love and give love. I have a lot of love to give so I am here if anybody needs me. So bless you. Thank you. Bless your organization. Yeah. And it's actually I'm not sure. an organization it's a it's a personal project okay. so this okay. is your this, project yeah. and your whatever you're doing you know may you grow thank you and if ever you need me i am here i will give you a call i will keep texting i will make sure that so if i can help in any way wherever mm. if my voice can be heard even if we need a translator mm-hmm. i'm ready to do it fantastic so again Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And may Akshay guide you and all our angels in heaven watch over you that your projects go into a very very positive place. Thank you. Thank and you. And so you know much. what we want? Results. Results. We hope we're going to get results. And we are I'm not even saying we're going to try. Right. We are going to get results. We are going to get results. Okay. And I want more parents to come on board. I want parents to start talking. I want parents to say I have a trans child. I have a bi child. I have a gay child. Please, how do I cope? What are the questions do I ask? And that's what I'm here for. Fantastic. Thank you so much and I really don't know what to say. Thank you. I'm just going to give you a hug now. If you or someone you know is in crisis and needs help, please reach out. Visit the South African Depression and Anxiety Group website or the SA Federation for Mental Health. where you will find comprehensive mental health information and resources to help you, a family member or a loved one. Also follow the podcast on Twitter at padedcell_pod or Facebook padedcellpodcast or Instagram at padedcell.pod for more information.